So how many of you guys know what a closer is? Five sports fans in here, that's right. Um, so in my lifetime, I've heard this term in different subjects, though. I've watched movies where some horrible lawyer who's just like a total scumbag is brought in to like close, close out court and lie as best he can, and he's the closer uh, on the defense team. Um, there's movies made about guys like this, and um, there's fixers and closers and stuff. But the biggest, uh, the biggest context for closers has been in these last 20 or 30 years in baseball because when I was a kid uh, – baseball pitchers pitched almost the whole game. Um, Relief pitching wasn't the scientific thing that it is today. But when you think about a guy who comes in for one inning to shut down a defense, to shut down the last three hitters or two hitters or whatever it is, um, the Cubs, after 107 years, finally got themselves a closer, thank you, Yankees, uh, in 2016. And the only reason they won was because our boy was throwing 103 miles an hour um, at the end of every single game to, to close out that. Um, so I'm very, very uh, appreciative of the Yankees organization. Uh, but Mariano Rivera um, is arguably, if you guys know baseball, you know that name. He was the guy. Some of these guys that pitch for one inning can make the same money as guys that pitch for five to seven because having a closer, a, a true shutdown closer, is such an advantage in the game. And I, I titled this message, The Closer, because between 7 and 25, verses 7 and 25, the author to the Hebrews is closing the letter, but there's so, it's all the bullet points. It's all the stuff we need to hear. It's all of the sort of the finishing touches of when you're releasing people through, you know, a letter. Back then they wrote letters. Now we write emails or we text people or we, we might... Um, you know, do something a little more formal if we were going to do something like this, write a memoir, write people, you know, here's, in closing, here's what I want you to remember, family, or whatever it is. So um, this letter is so brilliant. There's, there's a lot of guys that believe that this uh, chapter 13 was, was front-loaded, that it was, that it, in some ways, shapes, or forms, that it could have been on the front of the letter. But I love how it closes. We're going to we have lots to get to. We won't get um, to every single verse the way we typically do, but we want to close it out because it's so contextually complete. In verse 7 and 8, the author says, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And to go back just briefly to recap this book, we have all these warnings about walking away from the faith, about who Jesus actually is. And obviously, it's a Jewish audience. It's a Jewish audience that had come to Christ, and some were thinking about going back to Judaism due to pressures, many different pressures, political, uh, sometimes family. But because there was a, um, a nostalgic comfort with the old law. The temple was still in uh, service for a few more years, not that many more years before it would be destroyed, but it definitely was a stumbling block that that temple was still there. But when we talk about the warnings, you guys know some of the warnings. If you've been here with us, or if you know Hebrews well, you know some of the warnings are like, you read them and you're like, whoa. But you also always have to read them with the context of people who came out of Judaism into what we would call Christianity and then go, eh, it's insufficient and then would go back to it. 
Huge warnings there. We, some of you guys come out of Jewish uh, backgrounds in this country, um, but not with the background that they would have because you didn't have the temple. We have never had the temple. We're very removed from Jerusalem. Though many of us have been there, uh, it's very different over here being Jewish today than it is uh, in Jerusalem, even right now in Jerusalem. So remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In an ever-changing world, theirs was too, ours is too, Ours has always been changing because the climate changes all the time. Political climates, uh, what you might call uh, religious climates in our world. Preaching Christ is essential. Do not go to a church that doesn't preach Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Every letter that we, that we're, where we really hone in on who Jesus really is says the same thing. The problem is sometimes there's an obscure verse somewhere and people isolate that verse and then they filter every single thing in their life through a verse and they throw out the rest of the counsel of God. God's word has been, it's balanced from the start to the finish and it needs to be taken all. The Old Testament is not something we don't preach because we're in the new covenant, we're in grace, we're in the church age. It doesn't mean that we throw it out. There are some people who won't preach there. There are some churches that won't go there. They, they, they're, some of them are replacement people where they go, eh, God's done with Israel. Paul says differently in Romans. You might want to read all the way through Romans. Nothing about Jesus has ever changed. Even though sometimes people have differing opinions about what he said or what he did, you always go back to the complete word of God. Hebrews has laid out perfectly who he was in the beginning, how Jesus fit into the priesthood, the, the priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek, not that Jesus was a Levite, because he wasn't, he was of the tribe of Judah. We go back to all of the beginning, God's beginnings, Genesis, how God established things, God, how God started the family, how God started uh, marriage, how God started government, all these things. We can't just throw them out. We can't just be like, well, it's a postmodern world, eh. I'm just kind of like on a journey with Jesus and he talks to me and tells me what I need to know. I don't need church. I don't need God's word ever. Dangerous ground. Very dangerous ground when we go there. There are, there are a handful of people that I can think um, that are even almost well known on the internet that kind of have that worldview. You can see Jesus throughout scripture and he does not change and he will not change. Verse 9, do not be carried away, or excuse me, do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. If I'm going to just attack this first part quickly. There are always, guys, always, if you think that right now is unique in this department, then you haven't looked much at church history and some of the writings of the people at the time. There are strange winds of doctrine all the time blowing through America, blowing through Europe, blow, wherever. Wherever the church is, there's tons of this. And it usually gets ironed out when a person goes, okay, let's see what God's word says in context. And it's usually just blown, it's just blown right out of the water. And I'm not going to attack specific ones. It would take me too long just on the stuff that I've heard this week studying. But as we live out our faith, 
It's, a, it's essential that we're established by grace. We have to give each other grace. We have to be loving towards one another. So first he says, hey, remember those who rule over you. We don't like that word. We don't like that like, ooh, somebody ruling over me. That's slavery. That's, okay, that's not the context. It's in church order, in church government. A person who preaches the word to you, a person who preaches Jesus complete yesterday, today, forever. There's no insufficiency in Christ. And a person who in the context of teaching is gonna give you God's word and not strange doctrine, not weird stuff. You know, I was thinking, I think that Jesus really would be okay if we just all ate edibles tonight at, at Bible study. They're gummy bears. I mean, they look normal. I just, I feel like the Spirit of God said that to me. It'll be really relaxing. Lord, have mercy. Run from this church. Unfortunately, many have not. Wherever this church is, there are many throughout the country that are, that are cool with this, this now. But it's not just that. It's so many other things. It's taking Jesus and putting him down here. Or it's taking Jesus and going, well... You know, you have a point, but we also need to kind of go, I, I had a guy tell me that God told him to go back to the law and start living the law perfectly again. I'm like, God told you to live the law perfectly? The problem is perfectly and you. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. You're going to be frustrated. Just work on Matthew chapter 5. That'll take 800 years to try and perfect. Just that standard alone. But it's the strange doctrines. It's these weird things. It's this feely stuff that permeates. I feel God never asked you what you felt about his doctrine. He never did. We are under authority. God made order. There are cities in this country, specifically Los Angeles, San Francisco, Oregon, where people are moving their businesses out of these cities because the law and order no longer is there. And people who are not politically conservative are leaving because they're like, I just can't even run my business anymore because it's just, it's threatened all the time by crime. Well, I would say that law and order probably is something that you liked, even though you might have voted against it last time. Because a few years back, your business was fine. And now it's trashed because it's just nonstop, just anarchy. Whatever people want to do, they do. And they're not really punished by law enforcement anymore because the people above them won't prosecute crime. For by grace we were saved through faith, not of our own doing. It is a gift of God. As you and I live out our faith, it's established that we have, it's essential that we are established by grace and that we know that and that we come to human beings around us through and by grace. Now that doesn't mean that you put up with certain things that the Bible would tell you, hey, you know what? That's not something that's going to be good, like allowing that into a Bible study, a church, a Christian community, that is not going to be good. That's going to corrupt the fellowship. We, we can go on and on and on, but we have to understand that we first, we have to be established by grace because when people become um, Christian police, discernment police, discernment ministries where their whole job is they just hunt down what they call heretics. They hunt down people who aren't living out the, the, the uh, scriptural mandates perfectly. Well, well, are you? Like, are you doing that perfectly? Well, just let me just talk to you as an authority. Well, who are you even? We don't even know you. You just came in here and told everybody in the church that, that all this stuff is wrong and we, nobody even knows you. Did God really call you here? You're not under anybody's authority. 
well, that's because God gave me the spirit of discernment and I'm on par with him. That's a problem, a huge problem right there. So there's a lot of this stuff that kind of swings back and forth. Really hardcore doctrine, really hardcore strong, that's awesome, but it needs grace. Really, really, really gracious, really, really loose, really, really permissive churches need some, need some rules, need some order, need God's word, need to go back to the, the word and go, I think we're on bad footing here, guys. It straightens it out through tension. It's both. Jesus was grace and truth to people. He wasn't just one or the other. So we have to have this. And he's, he's letting these people know because a lot of them struggle with these Christians who are not necessarily Jewish and they're like, I don't think you understand. You got to be Jewish to get that joke or you got to be Jewish to be in this club or you guys are just Gentiles. You don't really know much. We are of the family of Abraham. Yeah, I know, but according to Paul, who's more Jewish than any of you guys, that he is of the tribe where he should be able to be the guy who can talk to all of you. And God moved him on to basically barbarians. Translation, non-Jewish people. People of the world. People that had absolutely zero idea about his pedigree. God was going to do things through crazy fishermen. Guys like Peter. Guys like John. And, and they weren't educated the way Paul was. And they hadn't been to rabbinical school the way Paul had. And they weren't, uh, according to the guy who trained Paul, the smartest guy they'd ever been around. They were just common people. And you know what people said when they heard Peter? They're like, they realized that he had been around Jesus. That's what blew them away about the teaching. Not the lack of pedigree and not the smell of tilapia on his hands. Not that. It was, Wow. That is some serious preaching, bro. You've been around Jesus. That's more the angle we want, guys, in our teachers. We want Jesus filtered first. It's first through Christ. People want to talk doctrine. They want to talk theological stuff. They want to talk about end times, prophecy. That's awesome. Make sure that people are getting the full counsel. Make sure their, their spiritual appetite is being satisfied by what you're saying if you're teaching a Bible study. We're helping people try to understand a question they have. So we go back to, um, you know, these guys are struggling. Verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Why would they say that? Why would this guy say this? You guys have no right to be at this tabernacle because you're still maintaining that you could possibly be made right through the old covenant, which is a slap in the face of the church, Christianity, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always uplifts Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is never going to move you away from Jesus, ever. That's not the right spirit if you're listening to that one. So he says, we've got an altar, the altar of Christ, the altar of Jesus, from which those who serve the tabernacle, they have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary currently, I mean, when he was writing this, currently, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. He wasn't downtown. He wasn't dying on a cross in the temple court. He was outside of the city. At the time, he became sin. There was a period of time, a short one, where Jesus was unclean, according to these folks. There was a period of time 
where for a period of time, a few hours maybe, who knows exactly how long, where he became sin who knew no sin. So Jesus was outside for that period of time, outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp. Let's go to Jesus where he is, bearing his reproach, being willing to be maybe the butt of some jokes, maybe mocked, maybe whatever, maybe more, because we're with him. We're not like, yeah, Jesus took care of it, now I'm going to live like a Christian king. It's not that. We join in with this. It flies in the face. I think, I don't like saying this a lot because I know sometimes uh, people go, hey, Dan, you know, you're off on this one. But I tell my kids sometimes this. I've told um, some of you guys this. The Constitution is a wonderful document, but it's nowhere in here. Okay? So, as, as... I love it, and I love that I was born in a country that has the freedom to assemble like this and open up God's word and say things that the woke would like me put in prison for right now. I like that. I like that I have that freedom. But if we follow Christ, first we have to know that we are choosing to follow someone who said, you will be persecuted, mocked, reproached, all these things for my sake. Why? Because they hated me first. So if you're a part of me, if you're like me, if you're in my circle, they're not going to like you very much. Why? Because the spirit of them is very offended by the spirit of, of Christ. Who is them? Always Satan. Always the enemy. It's, always, it's one or the other in life. There is not three choices or 50 choices or 70 destinations. There's just with God over here and without him, with Satan. That's, that's, those are the choices. So people over here, they go, eh, I don't really like that. We have our own uh, thing where we think you kind of just spin around like that Robin Williams movie from 25 years ago. You just kind of, when dreams may come, and you just kind of, you kind of nirvana-ly float into rainbows and stuff up there. Well, that's wonderful if that was actually a place. That's wonderful if that was actually true. It's, not, it's just not true. When I watched that movie, if you do watch that movie, I'm not saying that you should, if you watch that movie, it appeals to your flesh a little bit. That, that idea appeals like, hey, no, no responsibility from you at all. You don't have to do anything. You have to commit to anything. You just kind of float into rainbows and bright colors and Disneyland's everywhere, up there, somewhere, whatever. But it's just not true. And so he's saying, outside the camp, God of the universe is sitting outside the camp bearing reproach for those that would come to him in faith. And so how could they say, nah, we're not going to continue on in that. Nah, we don't really need that. Let us go out and be with him. Verse 14, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Meaning, you're a man or a woman without a country when you come to Christ. Now, a lot of us go, well, yeah, the country's degrading. You're probably right about that. It is. It is going to de continue to degrade because men and women are running it, and they have been for a long time. It's been a slow slide, but it's been degrading since day one because all governments do. We know this. No governments are perfect. One day there will be one, but not, not run by human hands, this side of heaven. So you have to kind of like choose this day who you're going to go identify with. The lamb outside of the city, the lamb of God, who is preparing a city for you, if you're in him. 
the one that you seek as you admit that you are a pilgrim on a journey that's, that's, that's on your way to the heavenly city, that, that's on your way to be with God one day. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. It's one of the reasons we start that way, church services, but it should be something that continues on. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. As those who must give account, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Look, there is a lot in the, quote, American church Whatever that even means. There's thousands and thousands of churches that say that they're Christian churches. Their websites might even have some, some stuff on them that sounds loosely Christian. If you are truly following Christ and this is your church, awesome. We love you. We want you here. If this isn't your church, wherever you go, make sure you've hit these bullet points. Does your pastor preach Jesus does he give you the word of God, all of the word of God, always, like in its full context, not just every week it's a different verse and he has this interesting angle. He makes us feel weird. Um, not that, just the whole deal, as much as possible. Does he preach Jesus is the same? Does he understand that religion and old ways of doing things may not necessarily be all that awesome for you? Yes, nostalgia. Yes, reminiscing. Yes, when we used to go to that church or the 80s, they were easier. The 90s was even easier. But, but to not go back, but to keep pushing forward. We can get stuck and idle doing that a lot. Just like, oh yeah, it used to be so good. And all we ever do is talk about the past. All we ever do is talk about how great America used to be. All we used to do is talk about how big the church used to be. And how we used to have a thousand kids at, at VBS and and, and now it's just COVID's ruined everything. Well, I, I'm pretty sure Jesus knew about COVID before he died. Um, I'm pretty sure that God knew every single thing that was ever going to happen. He's not surprised by these things. It has definitely shaken up the church, though. It's definitely shaken up the country, the world. It's definitely put people in camps. And what he's saying is, go out to the outside camp where Jesus is. It's a little bit of a walk. It's laborious. People are going to mock you along the way. You're going to be called out, sure. Go out there. Go after him. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. When you come into a church, don't come in and be like, well, if I don't like the way the songs are, I'm going to pull rank. And you got to like a Christian badge. You got a little Christian badge. Gospel police, 911. Um, don't come in and try and stir up trouble. Don't come into an existing church that's fellowshipping and trying to get closer to Jesus and stir him up and cause dissension and try and rip the church apart. That will be bad for you if you do do that stuff because uh, God's pretty clear about people that come in and try to rip up his church. There's a lot of that out there. I've seen it. I've even seen it here uh, in eight years. But be submissive. Submit to the teacher. Submit to the teaching. doesn't mean you can't have lunch with people that teach you and be like, hey, I had a question about this. It just means that you're not going to go cause dissension, cause trouble, try and, try and just blow up the church or, or wreck it. God's got that. If he wants to blow up a church, if God wants to end one for whatever his reasons are, he's got this. You just go in and try to 
Give God a sacrifice of praise, whatever that is. You, you pray through what that is for you and the Lord. You be having the fruit of praise and the thanksgiving on your lips for him. Do good. Share with people that need help. Be somebody who's not so attached to everything that you have. Obey people who are in positions of leadership, not just here, everywhere. Don't be a lawbreaker. Don't be a rebel without a cause. Let them do so with joy and not grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Make it easier on wherever you are, in that Bible study, in that church, in that choir, whatever it is. Be somebody who's bringing a great spirit of Christ to the equation. Somebody who can be like, wow, God, when, you give it, when, when I give an account to God, you're like, man, that person, God, thank you so much. That person was a breath of fresh air. That person was so awesome. Pray for us. 18, we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably, honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Paul asks for prayer. Timothy was in prison. I know, it's, I know everybody says it's not Paul. This sounds more Paulian, the back half of 13, than anything else in the entire thing. But let's just, I'll, I'll go back and I'll just say the author, um, the way he talks about Timothy, the way he talks in this. Like I said, there's, there's, some, there's some speculation about 13 specifically. Like, was it at the front? Was it at the back? Not that it's not part of Hebrews, but it just seems so differently. It's like almost backloaded. And people go, well, he did, Paul didn't write this way at the beginning. That's why Hebrews, a lot of guys don't think he wrote Hebrews. But the way some of this is, it, it's sort of more his verbiage than the middle of the book. Um, but, but be that as it may, uh, I'll, 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 um, I'll do what I usually do, which is the, the writer, the author here, is asking for prayer, that he may see these people sooner, that, um, that uh, Timothy may be able to see these guys sooner, and be a blessing wherever they go. Traveling missionaries, they want to be a blessing. They don't want to be a burden. They're, they're wanting to give you a report. They're wanting to enhance your faith. They're wanting to build you up. They're wanting to, when you get a guy off the mission field to come and speak, that's just adrenaline for me. It's awesome. It's a great, great thing. It used to happen a whole lot more than it does these days. But um, he, he's asking for these people, hey, lift us up. We're leaders, but we need prayer from you. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your leaders. Pray for leaders. And then, and then the benediction, which we'll get to in a second. Um, I want to read the, the, the last part of this uh, as a benediction. But I think uh, the amount of media and information that you and I ingest in a given day can be a major uh, stumbling block to our focus on our faith, to our daily focus in our lives. We have... Uh, I don't know, eight, nine years ago, the, uh, the statistic was 30 gigs a day of data that comes through our eyeballs that our brain processes. I got to tell you right now, my first computer was like five, five gigs. There, ten, in 2014, the speaker that I was at at a conference said 30 gigs a day comes through your eyeballs. You know why people are tired? They're processing a lot of information. You know a lot of that information is? Useless. It's made to scare you. It's made to distract you. It's made to keep you away from your faith. Focusing in your faith and bringing your faith more into your frontal focus than, eh, it's an exterior. It's back there somewhere. 
But I got to stay up on the news. I got to stay up on Ukraine. Gas just dropped. I don't know what's going on with that. I got to figure that out. Okay, but I'm just saying it can be a stumbling block. I'm not saying everybody that reads the news is being stumbled by it, but it can be. I've talked to a lot of people in the last two weeks that are just terrified by how much they are seeing. And I'm telling you right now that even television shows will say, even TV shows that are fake will say that the news media is made to scare you into keeping your eyeballs on your phone more often as many hours a day as they can get you to. So it can be. When we're focused on Christ and what he's done for us, uh, a lot of these issues become, they, they, they move kind of out into the outfield rather than right in our face. And the larger problems are put into to focus. The things that we need to really worry about is where are we at with God? Like, are we growing? Are we progressing? Are we living an abiding life? Are we closer to the Lord today? Are we, are we drifting? Let's, let's, let's get all that in focus. So be a good sheep. Be a good um, member of the fellowship, if you will. In the day in which this letter was written, there were not churches on every street corner. There were not a million wonderful Bible teachers on the radio, on your phone. I mean, I mean guys, you can, you can get information right now about the Bible that you couldn't have gotten in the 80s with 40 hours of research. But at the same time, it seems that people can church hop more now than ever before. Some of them go to 10 or 15 different churches in a year. There's so many, oh, I just love hopping, I just love church hopping. Well, okay, that's, I'm not trying to judge where you're at, but go be known someplace. Go be in the flock someplace, in that sheepfold. I don't believe that David, the little shepherd boy, would have let one of the sheep jump out over the wall and go visit over a 100-mile radius 15 different folds before he came back. I just like those people over there. And that guy's a little mean, but his, the shepherding is a little better than yours. This is the type of thing, translation, that is on people's minds. Oh, I like the worship over there a little better. The, the, the lights are kind of, they're sometimes too bright or it's too loud or whatever. We have all these criticisms, but nobody's known. Nobody's known. Be known someplace. You can get, even in a big church, you can get into a small group. You can get into a home fellowship. I don't know of a Christian church preaching the Bible that doesn't have some kind of a small group. I don't know of one. But the danger, once again, is in being trying to jump so much that people, they are acquaintances with you, but nobody knows what's going on in your life. You have zero accountability. God can move people in and out of a church. He has his reasons as to why he does. There is something, though, truly miraculous. Hear this. There's something truly miraculous when the relationship is not only profitable, but when we are all being obedient. There is real supernatural joy in the fellowship. This from Christ to Christian leaders to the flock. And the flock are supposed to be using their gifts too, not just the pastors and teachers. But when everybody, when there's harmony, when it's a good season, when everybody's not looking over here, comparing themselves, comparing their gift to somebody else's, well, I only get to sweep the parking lot and that guy gets to teach or whatever it is. Whenever that pops up, we have to look and go, are we doing it for the Lord? Or are we doing it for eyeballs? Right. I want to read um, a 
couple of things, and then I want to. I just want to read 20 through 25 as a closing benediction. We don't usually do. Um, when I went to uh, Baptist church in the when I was little, they always did like a benediction. It's a really cool uh, benediction. We have you guys stand uh, for it in a second. But the first closing thought is: leaders that are over you in a church should be preaching Christ. Translation: They should be in the Bible. Period. They shouldn't be in the book that they wrote. They shouldn't be in. Well. These are the lost books of Eden, and it's Apocrypha, and it kind of references. There's some of that out there. There's this new interest in all of this because these things have been, they've be, they've been uploaded to YouTube now. Stuff that was impossible for, for people to find 20, 30 years ago is now on YouTube that will play for three or four hours in your ear every night, and you can just listen to all this stuff, which God did not canonize. He did not put it in the scriptures. It's not to say never, ever read it, but it's to say that it's not holy scripture. Nothing else should be first. British pastor Leslie Weatherhead tells a story of a public school boy who decided to enter the ministry. He was asked when he had come to that decision. He said it was after hearing a certain sermon in his school chapel. He was asked the name of the preacher. The kid said, I have no memory of the preacher's name. All he knew was that he had shown him Jesus. That's all the kid knew. The duty of real preachers is to obliterate self and show those listening nothing but Christ. Because nothing I can ever do in this life could ever help you in the next. The only thing I can give you is him that will help you in the next. Secondly, praising God, giving thanks, sharing, not only is pleasing, but it sets up a godly environment in a church where everyone knows their role. There's people who have zero idea. They're, they're, they've been in a church their whole lives, 30, 40, 50 years, never served one time, never know, never known they had spiritual giftings, never, know, never knew that, you know, 30 years of attendance, week in and week out, they just showed up, listened, and left. Man, what a missed opportunity. They could have been a blessing. They could have used that gift that God gave them to bless the the body. Sometimes it's 10% or 15% or 20% of people lifting everything. And then people just get burned out because everyone else is, well, they're doing, they're cleaning, so that's good. We don't need any more cleaners. Or, oh, he's doing, he's doing the children's ministry, so we, we're good. We don't ever have to, you know, invest in that. Whatever it ends up being, talk to the Lord about it. Maybe you have a passion to start something that we don't even have. And God is charging you to do this. He's wanting you to do this. He's wanting you to start something. It's on your heart. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's bring it out and let's look and see what God does with that, with that gift. Um, as we close, I want to have you guys stand. I'm just going to read um, the benediction here because I love how Hebrews ends. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see if... See you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen.
Father God, we thank you for this letter. We thank you for what it teaches us. God, I pray that we would remember these principles, these warnings, uh, the exhortations uh, that are in this book. And uh, Lord, we want to be people who are um, grateful. Um, we want to be people who uh, just have that, that spirit of Christ about them that is uh, winsome and, and light-burdened and gracious wherever we go. Uh, God, help us. We thank you for um, your word and how you teach us. In Jesus' name, amen.